some more of that traditional theology that is adopted in the minds of people. Amen. This is not going to be a battle. This is going to be a campaign. And we have to distinguish between the definition of the word battle and the definition of the word campaign. When we talk about a battle, we are inferring uh, two armies, amen, engaged in fighting. That is called a battle. When we talk about a campaign, that does not necessitate, amen, two armies. It could be a campaign against one party, amen. And in this case, Armageddon is not a battle that is going to take place between two armies, two earthly armies. Armageddon is going to be a campaign against one army. Amen. And this campaign is not going to be initiated by man, not going to be initiated by Russia, amen, or China, or any other nation on the face of the earth. But it's God's campaign and it's going to be initiated by God himself. Amen. You don't have to stand to your feet, but we will read from Revelation chapter 16 and verse 16. Revelation chapter 16 and verse 16. And he gathered them together into a place called in the Hebrew tongue Armageddon. Amen. Notice, it doesn't say, and they gathered together, but he gathered them together. And he gathered them together into a place called in the Hebrew tongue, Armageddon. Lord, we thank you tonight for your mercy to us, and thank you, Lord, for the privilege of being in your house. Thank you, Lord, for this church and the leadership of this church. Pray that you'll continue to bless the efforts of this church in its propagation of the gospel and its outreach, Lord, to the souls that need salvation these last days. We ask, O Lord, that you will anoint uh, your word as it goes forth. Anoint the ears that listen, Lord, and hear. Anoint the hearts, praise the Lord, to receive. For adventure, there's somebody here that's not ready to meet you. I pray that you will prepare their hearts. Help them, Lord, make their calling and election sure this night before it's too late. In the name of Jesus Christ, I pray. Amen. Let me first of all define to you the word Armageddon. Outside of the fact that Armageddon is a geographical location located in the extreme north region of the land of Israel, which encompasses, praise the Lord, what is known in the scriptures as Jezreel, Ezraelon, and Megiddo. All of these together make up, amen, the field of Armageddon. <coughs> this area served as a 
battleground for many battles, amen, recorded both in Bible history as well as secular history. It was here, amen, that the forces of uh, uh, Barak, amen, met uh, the Canaanites and they conquered them and enjoyed a great victory over them during the tenure of Deborah, who was one of the female judges, amen, of the nation of Israel during the period of the judges. It was also here that Gideon and his 300 army, amen, surrounded the camp of the Midianites and they won a supernatural victory equipped with uh, 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 lamps and trumpets, amen, and uh, <coughs> earthen vessels, pitchers. It was also here that Israel suffered its most disgraceful defeat in a battle against the Philistines. And during this battle, Saul, their king, died and so did his son Jonathan. It was at this time also that the Ark of the Covenant was confiscated uh, from the midst of the nation itself and taken to the camp of the Philistines. For David, mourning the death of Saul in his soliloquy, looked up at the range of mountains overlooking even the field of Armageddon and cursed those mountains because they dared witness the disgraceful death of the anointed of the Lord, King Saul. And he said, All oh, those mountains of Gilboa let there be no rain nor dew upon you. In essence, he was saying, Amen, that there'll be no rain on you nor dew, so that you'll remain bare for the rest, hallelujah, of your history. And sure enough, the peaks of Mount Gilboa are as bare, amen, void of any vegetation, any grass, any shrubbery, or any trees of any kind. Napoleon Bonaparte, when he visited the Middle East, he stood on a high ledge overlooking panoramically the plain of Armageddon. And without knowing anything about the Bible, amen, he said, surely this must be the greatest natural battlefield in the whole world. And undoubtedly, amen, the last War that is going to be waged on this earth, amen, will be waged here. Hallelujah. What a prediction to be made by a military individual that didn't know a thing about the predictions of the Bible. <coughs> From the Hebrew language, Armageddon means God hath scattered. God hath buried. Amen. Because that's exactly what God is going to do to the enemies of Israel when they gather together in this place with the intentions of destroying the nation of Israel and confiscating all of the wealth of the land in the Middle East. Hallelujah. 
And God is going to scatter them. And God is going to destroy them. And Armageddon is going to be the burial ground, if you please. Amen. Why is God initiating a campaign of this nature? That is going to result in so much slaughter and so much bloodshed. What purpose would God have, amen, in becoming responsible for the death of millions of people at this time in this campaign? Why, hallelujah, God is determined to do it? Well, there are several reasons for that, amen. And certainly, it is not our right to question God about it, hallelujah, because he knows exactly what he's doing. Amen. First of all, God intends to bring a great sense of humiliation upon the nation of Israel. To wit, that the people of Israel will recognize and acknowledge Jesus Christ as their true Messiah. Hallelujah. And the prophecy of Isaiah will be fulfilled at this time when he addressed himself to his own people. And he said, in that, in, in, in that day, every knee shall bow. He was initially talking about a Jewish knee. And every tongue shall confess. He was initially talking about the tongue of the Jew. Hallelujah. That Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the Anointed One, hallelujah, is Lord. Amen. In essence, in the Hebrew, Isaiah is saying that Jewish people will humble themselves. They'll bow their knees and they'll confess with their tongue that God of the Old Testament, that they recognize as Adonai is Jesus of the New Testament that is known as Yeshua in the Hebrew. Hallelujah. And that he is the king of kings. And the Adonai of all Adonai. Hallelujah, hallelujah. The Jewish people have become very belligerent people today. Amen. They are so filled with pride simply because of the victories that they have enjoyed even in the last 40 years since Israel became a state. Not realizing that it had not been for the help of God, they would have been destroyed a long time ago. Hallelujah. Not giving any credit to God whatsoever, but patting each other on the back, amen, commending one another because they felt it was by their power and by their resources, amen, that they have been able to win these wars against their enemies. Not only that, but they have not made any provision for God in the midst whatsoever since the establishment of their state in 1948. The only people that have actually recognized God and acknowledged the help of God have been the extremely orthodox Jews that believe in the literal interpretation of the Old Testament. 
that look for the coming of the Messiah. Hallelujah. And these are only approximately 15% of all Jews that live in Israel and around the world. <coughs> Amen. And so God has to humble this nation and cause it to acknowledge Him as their only Savior. Hallelujah. When the scales of blindness will be removed from their eyes on that day, and the Bible tells us they will see Him whom their forefathers had crucified. And they'll be weeping and mourning and wailing, hallelujah, from one end of the land to the other. The second reason for Armageddon is all of these nations that have consolidated together to come against Israel have been the avowed enemies of Israel for hundreds of years. There's a long history of hostility on the part of these nations against Israel. And God had already promised, hallelujah, the nation of Israel long time ago that there will be a day of vengeance when God will avenge himself of the enemies of his people, hallelujah, which is Israel. Some of his prophets wanted to do it in their day. They could not understand why God is putting off the matter of exercising, amen, his indignation against the enemies of Israel. But God promised these prophets and told them, hallelujah, in his own time, he will bring judgment against the enemies of Israel. And so, he's going to gather them together, all of the hostile enemies of Israel, throughout the centuries that have transpired, amen, and bring them together into the place called Armageddon for the purpose of destroying them. Hallelujah, because of their hostility to his own people. Amen. The third reason for this campaign is to bring an end to the times of the Gentiles. The times of the Gentiles began in the year 606 B.C. with the reign of King Nebuchadnezzar, hallelujah, over Babylon, which was mighty in those days and dominated the ancient world. God turned away from the Jew and he began his dealings with the Gentiles. Amen. And so the times of the Gentiles began with Nebuchadnezzar and have continued on until our day. Hallelujah. And they will not end with the rapture of the church, but they will continue on until the campaign of Armageddon. Well, there's a difference in Bible terminology. When you hear the fullness of the Gentiles, that's one period of time, and the times of the Gentiles is another period of time. Hallelujah. The Apostle Paul, addressing the Roman Christians in chapter 11 and verse 25, he is cautioning these Roman Christians, Gentile Christians, not to become wise in their own conceits because blindness in part has happened to Israel. The expression blindness in part does not mean partial blindness 
but it means temporary blindness that relates to time, hallelujah. And therefore, he's saying because temporary blindness has come upon Israel, you Gentiles need not to become wise in your own conceits as though assuming I have completely forsaken the Jewish people. Hallelujah. For God said, in the words of Paul, there shall come a deliverer out of Zion after the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. Well, the fullness of the Gentiles is a completion of the mission of the church here on this earth. And when the church is raptured, hallelujah, that means a fullness of the Gentiles has taken place, simply meaning God dealing with the Gentiles as far as salvation and redemption is concerned. Then, after that, God will turn and begin his dealings with the Jewish people. But when we talk about the times of the Gentiles, we're talking about the political power of the Gentiles here on this earth. Hallelujah. And the campaign of Armageddon will bring to an end, amen, the political power and the governmental powers of all Gentile people here on the face of the earth because Jesus Christ, amen, will come back to this earth to establish his own kingdom. And what Daniel interpreted as far as a dream of Nebuchadnezzar was concerned, where he saw a colossal image of different metals, head of gold, arms and breast of silver, belly and thighs of brass, legs of iron, feet of iron and clay, which was symbolic, praise the Lord, of Gentile power uh, from the days of Babylon until, amen, um, the second advent of Christ back to this earth. And therefore, while he was looking at this colossal image, and he saw those different metals reflected by the light that shone, hallelujah, upon that image, he also saw a stone hewn out of a mountain, hallelujah, without hands. And he saw that stone come hurling against the image. It did not hit the head of the image. Because it wasn't time for that stone to come yet. It didn't hit the chest area of the image. It wasn't time yet. It did not hit the legs, hallelujah. But notice. The stone came hurling against the feet of the image. Because at the time of the coming of the stone, hallelujah, the feet are going to be ruling here on this earth. The last vestige of Gentile power made up of ten nations that consolidate together. And therefore, the coming of the stone was to destroy the last vestige of Gentile power here on this earth and then take over the rule of this earth for what we call the millennial reign of Christ, um, simply meaning a period of a thousand years of righteous reign and peaceful reign where the devil is going to be bound in the pit. Hallelujah. Now who is going to be involved in Armageddon? The prophet Ezekiel looks out there in the future. And he addresses himself, first of all, to three nations that were in existence in his day. He calls them by name. Persia, Ethiopia, and Libya. 
Persia is a Bible word. Ethiopia and Libya are not original words of the Bible. They're anglicized words. But let's take Persia first of all. Persia is what we know in part today as Iran. Iran is not all of Persia today, only part of it. Hallelujah. Persia continued to exist until World War I, when the British, praise the Lord, won that war. And they occupied the land of Persia. And they appointed an auxiliary major who was, praise the Lord, part of their allied forces to serve as governor of Persia at that time. He was of a peasant background. He was a nomad. Amen. But he had signed up with the British government or the British forces. And he became very popular in the land of Persia. And eventually, with his popularity, he elevated himself, hallelujah, to occupy the royal peacock throne of the dynasty of the Persian kings of the past. And he gave himself the title of Pahlava Shah. But he felt uncomfortable, amen, with the name Persia. Because the name Persia comes to us from the name Parsi, which actually is a word of dignity and related to the house of royalty. And he felt uncomfortable with that word. And so he decided to change the name of the country from Persia to Arian to what we know today as Iran because the word Arian simply means peasant or it means nomad. And he felt more comfortable, hallelujah, with the name Arian than he did with the name Persia. And thus Persia was changed to Iran. However, the land of Persia in the days of Ezekiel occupied the territories that we know today as Pakistan, Afghanistan, current Iran, and a satellite, praise the Lord, that is half in the hands of Russia and the other half is in the northern region of Iran that is known as Azerbaijan. So that Persia actually then occupies a vast territory of what we know today as Pakistan, Afghanistan, Pakistan, Iran, and Azerbaijan. Ethiopia is not an ancient name in the Bible, hallelujah, but it's an anglicized word that has been given, amen, to a country that formerly was known as Abyssinia. However, in the Bible, in the days of Ezekiel, amen, Ezekiel was not confining his statement just to what we know today as current Ethiopia, but he was addressing himself to all of the territory of Cush, the eldest son of Ham. And the territory of Cush extended from the southern peninsula, which encompasses all of the Arab countries, including current Ethiopia and Egypt, Sudan, Tunisia, and the whole continent of Africa. All of that was a territory of Cush. The name Cush was given to his followers. They became known as Cushites. And the word Cushite simply means dark skin. 
The word is not confined to the Negroid race, but all dark-skinned people, hallelujah, were considered as Cushites. And Cush was the eldest son of Ham. Incidentally, dispel this idea from your head that God placed a curse on Ham. The Bible never said that. You'll never find any in the Bible where God placed a curse on Ham. Amen. Noah, in his intoxicated state, in an irrational way, he placed a curse, amen, on the seed of Ham. But it wasn't God that established that curse. God never did place a curse, hallelujah, on any of these three children of Noah. And so the territory of the Cushites then begins with the Arab countries. It picks up Ethiopia as we know it today, Egypt, hallelujah, Sudan, Tunisia, and the whole continent of Africa. Then we have the name Libya. Again, Libya is not in the Bible as far as the original manuscripts are concerned. Libya is an English word. However, there was a race of people that were known as Lubims. These were descendants of the younger son of Ham by the name of Put, sometimes spelled P-H-U-T, sometimes just P-U-T. Put, the second son of Ham, immigrated to the Sahara Desert and he established residence there, hallelujah, and as a result of his residency in the Sahara Desert, this side of the continent of Africa, three nations were born as a result of that. We know these nations as Algeria, Morocco, and current Libya. So you can see for yourself, just, just talking about Persia, Ethiopia, Libya, how many nations are involved here. We have all of the Arab countries, Amen, including Azerbaijan, <clears throat> Iran. Then we move to Pakistan, Afghanistan, Ethiopia, Egypt, hallelujah, Sudan, Tunisia, Algeria, Morocco, Libya, and the continent of Africa. <clears throat> but that's not all. Ezekiel now looks out there and he gives us names of individuals that in time will be responsible for the development of countries. And he calls them out. First of all, he calls Gog, Magog. Gog, Magog are one and the same. The prefix may, before the word Gog, simply means the territory of. So when you read in the Bible, Gog and Magog, these are not two different individuals. This is one and the same. What the Bible is saying, Gog and the territory of Gog. And then Meshach and Tubal. These three were brothers. Gog was the eldest. He was the head of this family. That's why he's known as Rosh. And the word Rosh in the Hebrew means the head of. It means the first. Or it means the prince of. Or it means the beginning. Hallelujah. In this case, it means the head of. And so Gog was a head of of this family and the head of these two brothers, Meshach and Tubal. They immigrated 
beyond the Caucasian mountains and the Caspian Sea and established residence, hallelujah, beyond those mountains. They became expert horseback fighters. They terrorized those whole region, conquering every clan and every tribe of people in that region and bringing them under subjection to them. They became known historically, hallelujah, in the formation of races as Scythians and Cimmerians. They established two kingdoms, hallelujah. One kingdom, amen, was headed by Tubal and the other kingdom was headed by Meshech. They built two cities. They became the capital cities of the eastern and the western hemisphere, hallelujah, of the territories of Meshech and Tubal. These cities were named after these two boys. One was named Moscovich, the other was named Tobolsky. In the course of time, hallelujah, these two merged together and the merger was intensified and firmed up to form, amen, what in time became known as a union satellite of Soviet Russia. And they merged the two capital cities of East and Capital city, amen, and that became known as Moscovich, and we know it today in its modified name as Moscow. However, there is a thriving city in Soviet Russia that is known as Tobolsky. It has a population of approximately 400,000 people in it today. And Ezekiel looks out there again and he shares with us two more names. He says Gomer, hallelujah, Ashkenaz and Togarma. Amen. Now Gomer was a nephew to God, Meshach and Tubal. He did not go with them, but he chose to immigrate to the Danube River. And there he established a residence, and as a result of that, he and some of his bands stayed there, and a nation was born. It was named after him. It was known initially as Gomeria, Germania, what we know today as Germany. And inasmuch as Germany was divided by the Berlin Wall into East and West after World War II, hallelujah, we knew that in time that wall will be torn down, and East and West will join back together to form one Germany. And we have seen this happen last October. Hallelujah. Because Germany is part of end time prophecy. The rest of the bands of Gomer continued on to Central Europe. And they established residence in Central Europe. And as a result, several Slavic countries were born. We know these today as Yugoslavia, Bulgaria, Czechoslovakia, Romania... Hungary, Poland, Latvia, and Lithuania. All of these are descendants of the rest of the bands of Gomer. Togarma, the son of Gomer, did not go with his dad. He chose to remain on the opposite side of the Caucasian mountains from Gog, Meshach, and Tubal. And he settled, hallelujah, close to the area, amen, that we know as Mount Ararat, where the Ark of Noah settled upon, and as a result of his settlement there, he and his bands, two countries were born. We know these countries today as Turkey 
and Armenia. And then Ezekiel looks out there and he says, he sees myriads of people that he can't give a name to nor locate him geographically anywhere and all he can say, and many people with thee. Well, now the only nation that we know of today that would be considered as a nation with many people is none other than China itself. Hallelujah. Therefore, in the lineup of these nations, amen, we have, first of all, Soviet Russia and all of its satellites, including Germany and all of the countries in Central Europe, along with Azerbaijan, Iran, Turkey, Armenia, Pakistan, Afghanistan, Ethiopia, Egypt, Sudan, Tunisia, Algeria, Morocco, Libya, and the continent of Africa. All of these nations at some time or another have been hostile to the Jewish people. They have a long history of hostility. Amen. And along with all of these arrayed nations, we have China with its teeming millions. And soon now, you're going to see, hallelujah, the division of countries and the division of powers taking place. We've already witnessed the coalition, hallelujah, that resulted, amen, from the United Nations uh, uh, that uh, 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 consolidated itself against Iraq and Saddam Hussein. This is what we would consider as part of the Western Confederacy that will be under the leadership of the Antichrist himself. All of these other nations are going to break away from that, amen, in the near future, and they will uh, alienate themselves from the Western Confederacy and become part, praise the Lord, of Rosh, who is going to be the head of all of these nations consolidating together with an intent, amen, an evil intent of marching against the land of Israel to destroy the nation of Israel and to confiscate all of the wealth of the Middle East in minerals and oil. Amen. And God is going to initiate this campaign. He's not going to wait on them. The Bible says he will put a thought in the mind of Rosh, an evil thought, hallelujah. He will also put hooks in their jaws and he will draw them out of their land. And ironically, as much as it's very difficult for our finite minds to logically and reasonably accept the literal interpretation of the Bible, this army will actually be equipped with wooden weapons. And the only mode of transportation they will have available for matters of war is going to be the horse. So they're going to be riding horses instead of flying F-16s. Hallelujah. There'll be no jet power whatsoever available at this time. They'll use wooden weapons to fight with because all of man's technology 
will be destroyed at this time. Amen. But Brother Urshan, that, 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 that doesn't even sound logical. Well, of course it doesn't sound logical. Since when did God ever appeal to logic and reason in anything he did? Since when? Amen. And the, and the reason we believe that this is a literal interpretation is because the Bible continues to say, hallelujah, that the wooden weapons that these, this army will use, amen, will be so many that it will take the Jewish people seven years and seven months to burn them. Now why would the Bible say that if there weren't wooden weapons? It even sets the time, hallelujah, as to how long it will take the Jewish people using those wooden weapons as kindling to burn those weapons. It will take them seven years and seven months to burn all these wooden weapons. Think of it. Now why the wooden weapons and why the horse in this age of super technology and high tech? Well, I'll tell you why. You have to take into consideration the timing of this battle or this campaign. This campaign is going to take place at the end of a period of time that's going to last approximately seven years. And before we get to the campaign of Armageddon, there's going to be approximately seven years of continual destruction and devastation upon this planet Earth with no respite and no let up whatsoever. Hallelujah. A continual, a continual, amen, unleashing of destruction and devastation upon this earth. Immediately after the rat, rapture of church has taken place, uh, hallelujah, Jesus Christ, who's the only one that qualifies, will take a seven-sealed book in his hand. And he will break the first seal, hallelujah, that has sealed the presence of the Antichrist. Amen. And kept the Antichrist from making himself known into this world. Let me tell you something, folks. Nobody knows who the Antichrist is. Nobody knows who the Antichrist is. And if somebody tells you the Antichrist is over here or over there, hallelujah, don't believe it. Because he is not a revealed personage as yet. Hallelujah. The only people that know who the Antichrist is, is God himself and the devil. Nobody else. He's a nameless character. Has no name whatsoever. But he has a lot of titles. He's known as a beast. He's known as the Antichrist. He's known as a nail. He's known as a as a son of damnation. He's known as a lawless one. He's known as a man of sin. He's known as the Assyrian. He's known as a Chaldean. He's known as the idle shepherd. He's known as a profane wicked prince of Israel. Hallelujah. He's known by many titles, both in the Old Testament as well as the New. And they all characterize, hallelujah, his character. Amen. He's not going to be a witch doctor not going to be a master magician no 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 these are going to be infants in his presence he's going to possess supernatural powers that are going to be given to him by the devil himself 
Because the Bible says the dragon or the devil will give him his power, his seat, and his authority. Like the Satan incarnated, amen, in a human form. Hallelujah. And so he cannot appear until that first seal is broken. Now when the first seal is broken, <clears throat> he comes riding on the back of a white horse. He's got a bow in his hand, but he has no quiver of arrows, no ammunition for that bow. That means he's not coming as a man of war this time. The color of the horse is symbolic, praise the Lord, of peace. That means he's coming with peaceful intentions. Hallelujah. There's a crown on his head that lets us know that he's going to succeed temporarily in bringing peace to this earth. So he'll come with a peace program and he will come with a prosperity program, an economy program, hallelujah, that will save, amen, the economy from total disaster and bring a certain balance to it. But all of this is going to be deceptive and it's going to be short-lived because the Apostle Paul tells us his coming will be with all deceivableness of everything that is not right. Hallelujah. And so no sooner does the world find out that there's going to be peace on this earth at long last, and they'll start saying, peace, peace, when all of a sudden Jesus breaks the second seal. And with the breaking of the second seal, now this man of sin who is the Antichrist switches horses. Hallelujah. There are four horses, but Brother Elder, there's only one rider. Not four riders. The same rider switches from one horse to the other, to the other. And so he's switching horses now. He switches from a wild horse of peace, and he is riding a red horse now. And this red horse is symbolic of bloodshed. For now, he's holding a sword in his hand, and not a bow without any arrows. And this sword is stained and dripping with blood. What happens is that the coming of the Antichrist, he makes an agreement with the state of Israel to become their friend and guarantee them, hallelujah, safety and protection from their enemies. And when that happens, all of the enemies of Israel will rise up against them. These are the kings of the south, the countries, <coughs> pardon me, the kings of the north, which is Soviet Russia and its satellites, and the kings of the east, which is the oriental countries, they'll all rise up, <coughs> pardon me, against the Antichrist to fight against him simply because he made a covenant with the state of Israel to become their friend. And a war will ensue at this time, and that is symbolized by the red horse. Hallelujah. But the Antichrist will march against all of these people, and he will conquer them and subdue them and cause them to succumb to his rule at this time. But in the process, hallelujah, this would be a global war and there'll be much bloodshed. And in the aftermath of this war, there'll be a famine throughout the earth. Now Jesus breaks the third seal. And with the breaking of the third seal, the Antichrist switches horses again. Now he's riding on the back of a black horse. And a black horse, hallelujah, is symbolic in the Bible of famine, of shortage. Praise the Lord. 
uh, the commodity of food at this time. And this rider now, he's holding scales in his hands and he is weighing food. Praise the Lord. A measure of, of wheat for a penny and three measures of barley for a penny. The idea of that is a measure of wheat, amen, is enough to make a small cake of bread or a small loaf of bread. A penny is symbolic of a day's wage because that's what people were paid in those days, a penny for a day's wage. So that it will, in, it, it will involve a day's wage just to be able to buy a small loaf of bread and that is going to be the meal of the individual for a day. And that's all they'll be able to eat, if you please. Three measures of, of barley, when sifted, hallelujah, will be just enough to make a loaf of barley bread, if you please. Again, it will cost an individual one day's wage to be able to buy a small loaf of bread to survive on. But that's not all. It's not so much your money that is a case here now. It would be at a time like this, when famine is raging throughout the earth, when a conservation plan becomes necessary to implement by the Antichrist, meaning a rationing plan, where food will be rationed at this time because of the shortage of it. The Antichrist will find it feasible at this time to issue his brand of hell that we know commonly today as 666. Amen. And the consumer and the merchant, in order for them to be able to sell that little loaf of bread and for them to be able to buy that little loaf of bread, they have to be branded by that mark of hell, hallelujah, either on their forehead or in their right hand. 666. And the Bible says, no man can buy. That's the consumer. No man can sell. That's a merchant. Except they have this number, which is also the name, hallelujah, and the mark of this beast of hell, if you please, we call by adoption the Antichrist. Now let me just dispel some myths out of your mind about this number. 666 is just a numerical number. In, in, uh, in uh, numerical orders uh, of any nation, amen, there are... Ten basic numbers. And this starts with one and finishes with ten. Anything beyond, hallelujah, any one of these basic numbers is a repetition. Amen. One is a basic number. Two is a basic number. Three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten are basic numbers in any numerical order. Any number you pick beyond the number ten will just be a repetition of any one of these ten basic numbers. Hallelujah. We're in the year 1991. Amen. 1991 is a repetition of one, nine, and one. Call any number you want to in your mind and you'll find out uh, the numerals in it, whether it's two digits, three digits, four digits, six digits, or what have you, will be a repetition of any one of these ten basic numbers. Now the devil decided to have him a number. Hallelujah. He may have started with one and wasn't satisfied with one. Jumped up to two 
And two, no, that's a number of division. Three, no, no, three is not too well accepted in the world. That's a doctrine of Trinity. Four, no, four is not good enough. That only relates to the four points of the compass. Five, five is not good enough. That's a combination of two or and three. And uh, uh, this is mercy and grace uh, coupled together. And I certainly don't want anything with mercy and grace. Six, perhaps six, but my aim is higher than six. Because I want to be equal with God. But when he tried to reach for seven, he found out all of heaven arrayed against him. And he couldn't get up to heaven because that was God's exclusive number. Or he couldn't have seven because that was God's exclusive number. Seven is a number of absoluteness. Seven is a number of completion. Seven is a number, praise the Lord, uh, of, 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 of uh, God. And the devil could not have seven because the devil is not whole, he's not absolute, and he's not perfect. Hallelujah. So he had to be satisfied with six. And by so doing, he might as well acknowledge, I will always be inferior to God, because six is always inferior to seven. That's simple mathematics. It doesn't need Einstein's brain for that. Hallelujah. Now, but we do have these numbers, and at some time or another, in any, in any uh, vocation, raise over numbers are involved, you're bound to get to 666. So if you see the number 666 on a, on a working glove, that doesn't mean that that's the Antichrist glove. If you happen to see 666 on a shirt collar, amen, please don't think um, that the factory that's putting out these shirts belongs to the Antichrist. Amen. And if you've got a social security check, and it happened to have the three digits along with about half dozen others on your check that said 666 plus other digits, please don't think the Antichrist sent you that check. Amen. And if you come across an address, a building, hallelujah, that has 666 on it, please don't come to the conclusion that that's the headquarters of the Antichrist. Amen. I know a preacher that had a flight reservation. When he got to the airport, he had time to wait for his flight, hallelujah. And so he took his ticket out. You know, we never look at our tickets until we get to the airport. And then we have time to look at it and read every number of word and everything on it. And he found out that his flight number was 666. And he wouldn't fly on it. That's the truth. That's an antichrist number. I ain't about to get on that plane. Amen. Well, you know, it stands to reason that if they are numbering a neighborhood and they come to the number 664 on the even side, the next house is going to be numbered 666. Amen. And if you buy a new car and you watch your speedometer, at some time or another, you're going to get to 665, and the next mile you drive is going to be 666. So don't stop your car, jump out of it, and say the Antichrist is taking over. 
Amen. That's right. We got a lot of myths like that. And then we've got we've got these so-called experts that, that come out and said every Procter and Gamble product in our markets, in our supermarkets, in our grocery stores has the brand of the Antichrist on it. How did you figure that out? Whether they got horizontal lines and vertical lines, amen, crossing one another. And when you figure all these out, there's a multiplicity of sixes, and that's the number of the Antichrist. That's a bunch of hooey. Somebody even wrote Mr. Proctor and, 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 and accused him of being uh, uh, the Antichrist. That's right. Amen. And then because of technology that is with us and the computer, amen, that is with us, everybody feels, amen, that the computer is the Antichrist. So they began to advocate a huge computer located in uh, 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 Brussels, uh, Belgium, amen, housed there in a building, and they call that the beast. The first place is not in Brussels, it's in Luxembourg. Hallelujah. And I've been to it, and I've seen the computer. It's housed on three levels, uh, praise the Lord, in this building. But they call it the beast, and, and sure enough, preaching went on real strong about this computer being the Antichrist. Hallelujah. It doesn't take a computer machine that occupies three floors to figure out the number 666. That's a very simple number. Amen. And it has three digits of equal value, 666. You don't need a computer, amen, to, to go wild and pretty soon belch out a card and say, that's what the computer figured out, 666. Well, the Bible already told me that. I don't need a computer for that. Amen. It's not such a heavy mathematical equation to figure out. Amen. And then, because of technology, somebody started this rumor around uh, that they're going to put this number under the layer of the skin and it's going to merit a laser beam to be, uh, hallelujah, pointed at the area where the number has so that it will reveal this number. Where do you find that in the Bible? Don't you think that's a wild guess? Amen. People don't realize that God has never depended nor utilized man's ingenuity to fulfill his purpose. Amen. And there is nothing in the Bible that deals, praise the Lord, with such complicated thinking whatsoever as to this number. All that the Bible says is that number, amen, will be placed on the forehead or the right hand, not in your back pocket, not on a shirt collar, not on a working glove, not even on a license plate in Israel. Sure they got them, but there's a reason they got them. They got them in all of the Arab cabs. And it's not just 666 by itself. They've got 666 plus uh, three or four other numbers. And the reason they have that is because they want to distinguish between an Arab cab and a Jewish cab, and that's all there is to it. Hallelujah. There are no beans about the Antichrist over there. Amen. The Bible says that this number will be placed on the forehead, or it will be placed in the right hand. 
It says that several times. Hallelujah. It's not going to be on a credit card. It's not going to be on a paycheck. It's not going to be on a bank account. Amen. It's going to be on the person. And it's going to be a visible number for your information. Everybody is going to walk around with that number visible on their forehead or in their right hand. Hallelujah. The reason I say that because this is not a new number. The devil got this number hundreds of years ago. And he tried to use it one time before, but he was premature, amen, with its use. And therefore, he abolished the idea until such time when he felt it would be the right time to bring back that number and use it again. And the first time he used it, he used it, praise the Lord, on people that were devil worshippers, and they had sold their soul to the devil, amen, and they wanted to be identified as the devil's followers, and so they were marked with the number 666. Not only that, but in several ancient languages, there are letters in their alphabet that has numerical value to them. Amen. And therefore, when the Bible says that this number will also be the name, and it also serve as a mark, that in the language that the Antichrist will use, hallelujah, this number will also reveal his name at that time. Because in these ancient languages, you could pick certain letters of the alphabet, find out their numerical value, hallelujah, and try to, amen, correspond. The Phoenician language, in the Latin language, in the Grecian language, hallelujah, there are uh, letters in these languages that have numerical value that you can correspond the value of the letter to the number and you can find out what the name is. Amen. Now, the number will be issued at the breaking of the third seal because now the Antichrist has got power to wield. He's got control of all food products here on this earth and nobody can eat or survive unless they receive this brand of hell. And the world will realize that, and they will succumb to the wishes of the Antichrist. Amen. And millions of people will allow themselves to be branded by this brand of hell. And when they are branded, they become the total possession of the Antichrist. Because these three digital numbers of equal value are not there by accident. They represent, praise the Lord, the economical power, the political power, and the ecclesiastical powers of the Antichrist. And every one of these sixes is related to the area of power that the Antichrist is going to exercise. The Bible tells us that he will be, praise the Lord, the head of the world government. That's a political power that's involved that first six, hallelujah. The Bible says that he will have charge of all of the treasuries of gold and silver in the world. That means that he'll be the uh, uh, head of the economy of the world. That involves a second six. The Bible also tells us he's going to be the God of this world. The high potentate of this world. That people will bow and worship his image, if you please. So that he'll be the head 
of the ecclesiastical system, apostate in nature in that day. Therefore, um, he'll be the head of the political, economical, and ecclesiastical systems of the world. And every one of these sixes um, encompasses one of these areas of power. Uh, so that when a man takes these three sixes on his forehead, he becomes a total possession of the Antichrist and subject to his political, economical, and ecclesiastical rule at this time. Amen. But now there'll be a lot of people that will refuse to take this mark. And as such, he switches rides now from the black horse, he switches now to the pale horse, and he rides a pale horse of death now. And the Bible says, power is given unto him. That means that he is the rider of the pale horse, and power is given unto him, amen, to kill. And as a result of that power given to him to kill, one-fourth of the population of this earth will die. And that's in the first three and a half years of that seven-year period. One billion people will be killed because they refuse to take the mark of the beast. And not all of them are going to heaven. Just because you get your head cut off by the Antichrist don't mean that you won't go to hell. Especially if you've heard this gospel even only one time. You can go to hell with a head or without a head. It doesn't make much difference. Hallelujah. And the Bible tells you very, very clearly, if you can't keep up with a footman, the slowest form of motion, how in the world can you keep up with a horse? And if you can't serve God in a time of peace, how will you do in a day of destruction and devastation? That's what the swelling of Jordan means. Amen. And so he will be given power to kill by the sword. He'll be given power to kill by plagues, by pestilences. And the expression wild beast does not relate to animals. It simply means terrorism. He will terrorize the world at this time. And the world, amen, will be controlled by demon spirits producing a reign of terror unprecedented in human history. Hallelujah. And then... After the breaking of the seal, we come to the sixth seal, and lo and behold, now the day of the Lord has come. Now the devil has been working all the time for the Antichrist and bringing vast and mass destruction and devastation upon this earth. Hallelujah. Now God is going to get involved in mass destruction as well because the Bible says the day of the Lord has come and who shall be able to stand? It will, be so, it will be so horrifying to mankind here on this earth. And I'm not trying to be a prophet of doom. I'm just trying to tell you what the scriptures say. It'll be such a horrifying day. Hallelujah. Amen. That the Bible says, uh, amen, the, the, the rich man and the poor man and the strong man and the weak man um, will, will run um, to the rocks. Hallelujah. And to the mountains and to the dens of those rocks. Um, and they will cry out, fall on us and save us. Uh, from the one who sitteth on the throne, for the day of his wrath has come, and who shall be able to stand it? Can you imagine? They try to commit suicide, and death will elude them. Hallelujah. We move from the seals to the trumpets, and by the time we get to the fifth trumpet, and now we're in the middle of that seven-year period, hallelujah, destruction will come against mankind the second time in mass, 
and one third of the remaining population of this earth will be destroyed. That's 33 and one third percent of what's left. Thus, cutting down the population of this earth from what it is now, which is about 5,250,000,000, it will cut it down to about 2 billion people. And within a period of three and a half years, over 3 billion people will die. That's not counting, amen, the destruction that will result from several earthquakes, hallelujah, uh, from changes in weather conditions uh, that are going to create electrical storms uh, and typhoons and hurricanes and cyclones and whirlwinds and earthquakes in different places uh, just bringing mass destruction hallelujah as such that's not even counting those millions that will be killed in between Amen. and along with one-third of humanity one-third of everything else of God's creation here in the universe will be affected. The Bible says one-third of the fowls of the air will, air will be killed. One-third of the mammals of the sea will be killed. One-third of the waters of the earth, hallelujah, will lose their uh, 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 effect here on this earth, will turn into blood. One-third of the beasts of the field will be killed. One-third of all creeping things will die. One-third of the stars of heaven will fall down upon this earth, wreaking, hallelujah, destruction, emitting fatal gases that will become fatal to the human family. And then it continues on and says, and one-third of the length of the day will be cut off, and one-third of the length of the night will be cut off, and one-third of the crust of the earth will be broken. The earth right now has been placed on its axis, hallelujah, in a position, praise the Lord, of about 45 degree angle so that the whole world will experience seasons. Amen. And the earth has a perfect circumference. And that is why it's perfectly balanced. And now when one-third of the crust of the earth will be broken, the Bible tells us in the words of Isaiah and Joel, hallelujah, that the earth will rock and reel now under the impact of the judgment of God. It will lose its equilibrium and it will lose its precise balance. Amen. There'll be such a shaking of the elements, uh, disrupting the order, praise the Lord, amen, of, of nature itself uh, and bringing destruction such as the world has never seen before. And as a result of that, the Bible says one-third of the light of the sun will be cut off and one-third of the light of the moon will be cut off automatically because the moon doesn't have any light of its own. It only reflects the light of the sun. And whatever affects the sun affects the moon automatically. Amen. And then the apostle Peter tells us, and all of the works of man here on this earth will be destroyed. That means his technology will be wiped out, all of his resources will be destroyed, and man will revert back to his primitive, hallelujah, status by the time God gets through when we come to the campaign of Armageddon. And that is why he's going to revert to the horse as a war animal for transportation, and he's going to have to cut the tree down to make a wooden weapon because that's all the time he's got to get him a wooden weapon. And they'll start their trek 
from the land of God. Amen. Soon now China will cross, hallelujah, from their place, amen, on a highway prepared that will bring them all the way to the land of God for Soviet Russia. And all of these nations will consolidate there and they'll start their march. Russia has been saving horses and accumulating horses in the last two and a half decades to wit that they have now 26 and one half million horses. America, which has the largest number of horses next to Russia, can only boast of eight and a half million horses. Russia has 26 and a half million horses. And they have a crossbreed of a Belgium horse and an Arabian horse to produce a species of a horse that will have both endurance and speed in this time of war. Amen. Can you imagine 26 and a half million soldiers riding on the back of 26 and a half million horses? And that's not counting all of the other foot soldiers that are going to follow because the army itself numbers 200 million seasoned warriors. We thought 700,000 in the desert of Saudi Arabia was a massive army. That didn't even reach a million. Just think of 200 million. Russia has training camps and they use those camps only at nighttime. They're training horseback fighters, hallelujah. And the skill of a Russian horseback rider has become so super that they can place a coin the size of a quarter on the ground, race that horse at top speed, and stoop down and pick up that coin without faltering and without slowing the speed of that horse. And we have pictures taken, amen, of their training camp as they trained fighting one another with wooden weapons in these training camps in Azerbaijan, a satellite of Soviet Russia. Hallelujah. They'll come marching through Iran and then they'll come through Iraq and by the time they get to the river Euphrates it would have been dried up of its waters, hallelujah, and the beds of the river Euphrates would be dry for their crossing. And here's an interesting thing, amen, Turkey who controls the flow of the water that feed the river Euphrates have been building dams, amen, and more dams and the time will come soon when if they want to they can shut these dams up and seal the flow of water in the Euphrates River and it's a matter of time amen before the waters of the river will begin to recede and recede and because of the hot climate there it won't be long till the waters of the river will completely recede not only by evaporation process by also use, hallelujah, of that nation as such until the river will dry up. Amen. And they'll cross the beds of the river Euphrates and then they'll march across a desert land 40 miles long until they get to the mountains of Israel from the north part and they'll climb over the mountains of Israel and they'll establish their camp in a place called Armageddon but it will not be big enough to accommodate this huge army of 200 million. The rest of them will camp on the mountains of Israel. They'll fill those mountains. Israel at this time has made a covenant with hell and death. That means with the Antichrist. Hallelujah. 
the Antichrist has disannulled this covenant in the middle of that seven year and broke it with them. Amen. They have no military power on the alert. Their borders have been completely, hallelujah, uh, 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 neglected. Uh, their arms have been laid down because they've accepted the false security the Antichrist has given them. And they wake up, hallelujah, on this memorable morning to find themselves, uh, amen, um, uh, 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 confronted with an army of 200 million parked at their doorstep. And if Israel could muster an army that quickly, they could muster over 700,000 soldiers at the most. Because the population of Israel would have dwindled, amen, to less than 8 million people at this time. Hallelujah. And therefore, like Jacob of old, when he heard Esau was coming with 400 seasoned warriors against him to kill him, and he didn't have one warrior to account for, so will it be with the nation of Israel when they find themselves confronted with an army of 200 million seasoned soldiers and nobody there to help them. Every country has alienated themselves from Israel and the Antichrist has broken his covenant with them now. Hallelujah. And they resign themselves to their doom. And just about the time when Gog gives the command, boot in saddle, boot in stirrup, climb on your horses and begin your march towards the city of Jerusalem when all of a sudden the heavens will be opened and all of a sudden, a prophecy, a prophecy that was prophesied by a man even before the flood will come to pass at this time. Amen. For Jude tells us, and Enoch prophesied, the Lord is coming with ten thousands of his saints. Hallelujah. He didn't know what he was prophesying because it wasn't addressed to his day. That prophecy is not even recorded in the Bible. Start with the book of Genesis and continue on, hallelujah, till you read past, amen, the New Testament and come to Jude and you won't find one record or one mention of this prophecy of Enoch. We didn't even know that Enoch was a prophet in his days. Where did Jude get this prophecy of Enoch? He didn't find it in a manuscript. Even if they had any tablets before the flood, the flood would have destroyed them. Well, I mean, a record left. Hallelujah. So we have to conclude that God gave Jude direct inspiration about this prophecy and Jude is writing it in that one little chapter that he has in the Bible but my what wealth hallelujah of, of information we have in that chapter and he's saying and the Lord is coming Enoch said with ten thousands of his saints for what purpose to execute judgment and Jesus appears now and with him come the saints of God that have been raptured to be with him. But well, we're coming back with him, you know. And he's not riding on a donkey now. He's riding on a white horse. He's coming as a conqueror. He's coming as a king of kings and the Lord of lords. And the Jewish people will see him. And all of a sudden they realize 
Amen. This is the one that their forefathers had crucified. And they'll recognize him as the true Messiah. And they'll fall down on their knees. And their tongue will acknowledge that the Elohim of the Old Testament is the Yeshua of the New. Hallelujah. And the first thing that the Lord does, that's why I said the campaign is not a battle. Amen. There's no earthly army, hallelujah, uh, 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 confronting this confederation of nations. The first thing that the Lord does is smite this army with blindness. And pandemonium breaks loose among them. They start killing each other with the sword. And thousands die. And then he smites them with a fatal plague. And they begin to fall dead on the soil of Armageddon like flies. Hallelujah. And then he summons hailstones. No, he doesn't need nuclear power. He doesn't need man's weapons. Hallelujah. He's got resources, amen, that man will never reach. He summons hailstones, every one of them, weighing a talent equivalent to 60 pounds each in weight. Millions of hailstones, each one of them weighing 60 pounds, raining like missiles upon these people just crushing skulls and killing them, hallelujah, and felling them to the ground, and thousands and millions will die as a result of that. And then God will summon the sun. He don't need a nuclear explosion to create heat. No, sir. All right. He'll cause the sun to intensify its heat seven times above normal. And if the heat, like I know it in Israel, hallelujah, gets up to about 110 degrees, amen, multiply that by seven, and it's going to be 700 degrees hot. Oh, Lord. You usually put your roast in your oven, and you turn your oven to about 400 degrees, about 450 degrees maybe. Try to stick your hand in there. And when that happens, the flesh will begin to melt of the bones of those people. And they'll turn into skeletons and fold up on the ground. So much so that by the time God gets through with the enemies of Israel, five out of every six will die and be buried over there. And only one-sixth of God will be spared to go back to the land of God. And they will be destroyed by fire after the thousand years of peace. And then Jesus Christ will land with his feet on Mount Olives, and the mountain will split in half. And these two halves will be pushed asunder, and water will come from underneath the city of Jerusalem. There is a river under the ancient city of Jerusalem that is fed by natural springs. I know it's there because I swam and waded in it for about three hours with a flashlight in my hand. I had to tie a rope around my waist and tie the other end of that rope to a column, amen, uh, at, the, at the entrance underneath the city because it's very dark and, and it's a wide area and I knew I would be lost if I didn't tie myself. And I waded in those waters underneath the city. There's a river underneath that city. And the river's course will be changed to flow into this canal that will be formed as a result of the splitting of that mountain. Hallelujah. Not long ago, the largest international touring agency were contemplating building a large resort hotel on, on top of Mount Oliver for tourists that come 
to the Holy Land. And they had a man, uh, a, a, a team of, of geologists just before they finalized their plans uh, to check the, the ground formation just to make sure that they could put a stru structure of this size, amen, on top of that mountain. And when those geologists finished their, 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 their examination, hallelujah, and their appraisal of that area, they sent their report back to their office in London and they told them, we do not recommend the building of a structure of this nature on this site at this time because this area is destined for an evolutionary change in the near future. Hallelujah. They didn't even know that the Bible talks about the mountain cracking up in half. And yet these geologists said that this area is destined, hallelujah, for a drastic ground change. Amen. So we don't recommend you building this well because it'll go kaput if you put it up there. And then Jesus is going to come to the east gate that has been shut and sealed all these years and make his entrance into the city of Jerusalem as the King of Kings and Lord of Lords and establish his reign there for a thousand years. And we are coming back with him. Hallelujah. And what's so beautiful, we're coming back to rule and reign with him. We're going to be the kings and the priests. Hallelujah. In his kingdom. Today, you're subject to the civil laws of the land. And some of us don't like them, some we like. Amen. Hallelujah. But tomorrow, the civil courts are going to be subject to us and King Jesus. Because we're going to be occupying thrones. And we're going to be the priests that are going to serve in his temple. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Amen. And what is left on this earth by the time God gets through will be less than a billion people. Amen. And after a thousand years of peace, for a short season, the devil will be loosed, amen, to get all of these nations that had been left on this earth and ushered into the millennial reign of Christ, he will cause them to rise up against, against Jesus and the church and the saints of God. And this time, God is not going to mess around with them. He's going to call down for fire and destroy every one of them. And after that, the white throne judgment, where hell and death will be cast into the lake of fire forever. Time will cease and will be ushered into the realm of eternity. Then, Jerusalem, the city that is supposed to be known as a city of peace, that has never enjoyed peace at any time, will enjoy peace at last and will live up to its name. It was known as Salem, and I'm closing. The word Salem in all three primitive languages, Shalom in the Hebrew, Salam in the Arabic, Shlama in the Aramaic means peace. And the first king of the city of peace was known as Melech Tzitkenio. We call him Melchizedek, but that's a wrong trans uh, uh, pronunciation. It's Melech Tzitkenio, simply meaning king of righteousness. In the course of time, hallelujah, this city that was known as Salem had four letters added to it, J-E-R-U. And became known as Yeru 
Shalayim or Jeru Salem, which simply means now the city of extended peace. That's why when God built a city up there in the parapets of glory for you and I, he didn't call it Salem, he called it the city of extended peace. And would you believe it? Inasmuch as the first king of the city of Salem was known as king of righteousness, the last king of that city is going to be known as a king of righteousness as well. Praise the Lord! It's worth living for him! Hallelujah! Let not your hearts be troubled! You believe in God? Believe also in me! In my Father's house are many mansions! I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come back, hallelujah, and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. Hallelujah. I don't like modest songs. I don't like sentimental songs. I don't like hooey songs that don't make sense. Amen. Every once in a while, we have people that predicate their singing on sentiment. Lord, build me just a cabin in the corner of glory land. What a stupid song. What an ignorant song. Amen. God help us. If I wanted a cabin, I'd hang around here. I don't want to be modest with the Lord. He said, a mansion? That's what I'm going to. A mansion. Hallelujah. And who wants to be stuck in the corner of glory land? We've been in the corner for too long. Hallelujah. I want to be around the throne. I want to be where Jesus is. Hallelujah. I don't want to be in a corner somewhere. Amen. Praise the Lord. Soon and very soon. We're going to meet him. Let's stand to our feet. Amen. I'm just going to spray this mic. And turn it over to your pastor. It's been our pleasure to be with you. And we're going to Sister Ellen and family. God bless you. Respect the leadership of this church like you never have before. Amen. Be faithful to God in every way. Live for him on a day-by-day -day basis. Hallelujah. Be like the little boy who asked his mother, Mom, is it possible for anybody to live one year without sinning? And she said, No, son, it is not. And he kept asking her till he got it down Hallelujah to one day. Mom, is it possible for somebody to live one day in this life without sinning? She said, no, son. He said, one hour. And he was weeping by now, desperate. She said, no, son. He said, Mom, please tell me, is it possible to... Without sinning. She smiled at him and she said, yes, son. I believe it's possible for a person to live one minute in this life without sinning. And he smiled and his face became radiant with a veil of tears rolling down his cheeks. And he looked at his mom and he said, Mom, you know what? From now on, I'm going to live my life minute by minute.